Yet I was listening for the bell on the time clock, waiting to finish her day. It was a Saturday afternoon in March, and the spring breezes were back. She'd heard them rattling the windows when the machines were shut down for lunch. She knew that as soon as she stepped outside, they'd tease at her hair and tug at her hat. This year, the breezes seemed to carry a slightly different message. Another year passed, and what do you have to show for yourself? So you can read English a little bit better. So you handed out a few suffrage flyers. Do you think that's enough? What would ever be enough for Yetta? I think they set the clocks back again, the girl beside her muttered. It's got to be past quitting time. And that's why we need a strong union, why we need a closed shop, Yetta muttered back. The girl rolled her eyes at Yetta. Don't you ever give up, she asked over the clatter of the machine. No, Yetta said. But she grinned at the girl, and the girl grinned back. And Yetta thought maybe, just maybe, they'd inched just a little closer to solidarity Yetta longed for. This girl's name was Jenny, and she was new. The bell finally rang, and Yetta and Jenny both stood up and stretched, reviving cramped muscles, unhunching rounded shoulders, stamping feet that had gone numb on the sewing machine pedal. I'm going dancing tonight, Jenny said, mischievously tapping out a rhythm on the floor. What are you doing? Um, I don't know yet, Yetta said. I haven't decided yet. Bella and Jane had been nagging her to go visit Rahel and the new baby, a little boy they'd named Benjamin. Bella and Jane had gone already once, but Yetta had had a cold then and only sent her regrets. Well, really, I wouldn't want the baby getting sick because of me, Yetta told herself. Maybe I'm not well enough, even yet. I bet that cutter who watches you all the time would take you dancing, Jenny said. All you have to do is just, she pantomimed, cozying up to an invisible man, gazing up adoringly at the invisible man's face, fluttering her eyelashes. Yetta blushed. There's not a cutter who watches me all the time, she said, but she couldn't help glancing toward Jacob's table. Jacob hadn't said a word to her about dancing since she'd turned down his invitation all those months ago. But he did seem to find lots of reasons to walk past her sewing machine, to ride in the same elevator with her morning and evening. Even halfway across the room, she could instantly pick out his figure in the cluster of cutters standing around laughing and talking and smoking. Jacob was bent over the table, smoothing out the layers of lawn fabric ready to be cut first thing Monday morning. There had to be at least 120 layers of the gauzy fabric spread across the table, each one separated from the others by sheer tissue paper. Jacob handled it all so gently, almost lovingly. Above his head, the tissue paper patterns dangled from wires, so when he stood up, it was like watching someone across a forest, half hidden by hanging moss and low branches. Suddenly, Jacob and the other cutters jumped back. One of the men sprinted over to a shelf on the wall and seized a red fire pail. Jerkily, he raced back and threw the pail of water under one of the tables at the huge bin of fabric scraps left over from days and days of cutting out shirtwaists. Not again. Those cutters and their cigarettes, Yetta said scornfully. It was clear what had happened. One of them had dropped a match or a cigarette butt or a still-burning ember into the scrap bin. At least someone was smart enough to keep buckets of water around if the cutters couldn't be stopped from smoking. But then there was a flash, and Yetta saw the flame jump from under the table to the top of it. 
More men grabbed buckets, desperately pouring water onto the flames, but there'd been only three buckets on that shelf, so they had to run across the room for more. The water was nothing to the fire. The flames raced the length of the lawn fabric. They sprang up to the dangling paper patterns and danced from one to the next, the patterns writhing down to ash and spitting off more flames. In seconds, the fire had gone from being something to scoff at under a table to a voracious beast ready to engulf the entire room. Beside Yetta, Jenny began to scream. Stop it! This is a fireproof building, Yetta yelled to Jenny. But we're tinder, she remembered. Yetta slammed her hands against Jenny's shoulders and screamed, Go! The aisle between the sewing machine tables was narrow, and the wicker baskets where they stacked the shirtwaists kept snagging their skirts. The other girls were blocking the aisle, <clears throat> some screaming and hysterical like Jenny'd been. One girl fainted right at Yetta's feet. Yetta reached down and slapped her, jerked her up. No time for that, Yetta screamed. You'll die. Across the room, Yetta saw a spark land in a woman's hair. In seconds, the woman's whole pompadour was in flame. Everyone was screaming, Yetta, but Yetta thought she could hear this woman's screams above all the others. The woman lurched across the room, slammed into one of the windows. No, slammed through. She'd thrown herself out the window. We're on the eighth floor, Yetta thought numbly, and now it was her turn to freeze in panic and fear. Sparks were flying throughout the room now, landing everywhere. Anyone could be next. Hands grabbed Yetta from behind. Yetta, come on! It was Jacob. Jacob and Yetta shoved forward toward the Washington Place stairs, pulling along Jenny and the girl who'd fainted. Yetta glanced back once more and was relieved to see that Mr. Bernstein, the factory manager, had had some of the men pull a fire hose out of the Green Street stairwell. He stood over the worst of the flames, pointing the hose confidently. No water came out. Turn it on! Turn it on! Mr. Bernstein was screaming. Yetta wasn't sure if she could hear him or if she was just reading his lips. Where is the water? He screamed again. Not a drop. He flung down the hose and ran. Now Mr. Bernstein was rushing through the crowds of girls, some still heading toward the cloakroom to get their hats. Don't worry about your hats, he screamed. Just get out. He was slapping and punching the girls, beating them as though he blamed them for the fire. No, he was goading them toward the doors, toward the elevators and the fire escape. He was only slapping the hysterical girls, like Yetta had done with the girl who'd fainted. He was trying to save their lives. We're on the same side now, Mr. Bernstein and me, Yetta marveled. She shoved against a girl who'd dropped her purse, who'd seen her coins roll under the table. Don't stop for that, Yetta screamed. It's not worth it. Save your life. She and Jacob together pulled the girl up, lifting her past the table toward the door. There were already dozens of other girls crowded around the door, screaming in Yiddish and English and what Yetta now recognized as Italian. Open it, open it. Oh, please, for the love of God. Madonna mia, aiutami. But it was, it was locked. Some of the girls were pounding on the elevator door too, screaming for the elevator operator to come to them. Miraculously, the elevator door opened and the crowd surged forward, sobbing and praying and screaming. Just wait, just wait, I'll come right back, the operator hollered. The doors were closing, but Yetta shoved Jenny forward, shoving her on top of the girls already in the elevator, saving her at least. Will he come back, Yetta asked Jacob, and Jacob shrugged. 
Yetta couldn't just stand there and wait. She wasn't going to stand still while the flames raced toward her, while others pressed their faces against a door that might never open. She grabbed Jacob's hand and pulled him along, circling around the fire. She looked back once and saw that someone had managed to open the door to the Washington Place stairs. The door opened in toward the crowd. Maybe it hadn't been locked after all. Maybe it was just the weight of the crowd pushing forward, pinning it shut. But it was too late to go back now. Flames were shooting across the path they'd just crossed, speeding across the oiled floor, licking up shirtwaists and fabric scraps and wicker baskets. The air itself seemed to be on fire, the flames living on fabric dust. Fire escape, yet a moan to Jacob, and it was so hot now that her words felt like flames themselves, painful on her tongue. No good, Jacob mumbled back. Doesn't go all the way around, all the way to the ground. So they didn't head for the window near the air shaft, where people were climbing out one at a time onto the rickety metal railing. What was left? Green street stairs, Jacob whispered. Those were back by the table where the fire had started, where it now burned the fiercest. But there was a partition wall blocking off the stairs and the elevator from the rest of the room. On a normal workday, that was where the guard sat, inspecting purses and glaring at the girls as if he thought they were all thieves. Today, maybe that partition was enough to keep the fire away from the stairs. Yetta and Jacob braced on, skirting the flames, still pulling along hysterical, senseless workers who didn't seem to know where to go. They passed a desk where the bookkeeper, Mrs. Lipschitz, was shouting into the mouthpiece of a telephone. Please, somebody listen. Somebody's got to tell the ninth floor. Hello, somebody, please. A spark landed on the sleeve of Yetta's shirtwaist, and she watched in horror as it sputtered and shimmered and burnt straight through. She could feel it singeing her skin. Jacob slapped his bare hand onto Yetta's sleeve, starving the flame. A dunk. Yetta whispered, but there was no time for him to say you're welcome, because they were at the doorway to the partition now, shoving their way behind it. No flames here. Girls were still standing by the freight elevator door, the only elevator they were normally allowed to use. They were pounding on the closed door like they thought that there was their only chance. It was so hot behind the partition that Yetta could barely breathe. Can people melt, she wondered. In her mind, she saw wax dripping down from Sabbath candles. My life, melting away. Stairs, Jacob screamed at the girls by the elevator door. He jerked, the stair he jerked open the stairway door and it opened out, making another obstacle in the tiny vestibule. Yetta and Jacob shoved the girls through the doorway and scrambled in behind them. The stairway was airless and close and still hot, but there were no sparks flying through the air. Through the window in the stairwell, Yetta could see the workers scrambling down the fire escape, teetering precariously on the metal railings, struggling past the metal shutters. Hurry, Yetta screamed at the girls around her. They were sobbing hysterically, clutching the railing, clutching each other. They were yammering away in some language Yetta didn't recognize, or maybe it wasn't a language at all, just witless jabbering. The fire, one of them managed to say, what if it's everywhere? There's no smoke coming from down there, Yetta screamed at them, pointing at the landings below them. Go down to the ground, you'll be safe. The flames are going up, not down. Up. Yetta glanced up to the landing above her, remembering what the bookkeeper had been screaming into the phone. Somebody listen. Somebody's got to tell the ninth floor. They didn't know. One flight up on the ninth floor, where 250 girls worked, where Yetta had worked before the strike, where Bella worked now, up there, they had no idea that there was an inferno raging beneath them, eating up the air, climbing higher and higher and higher. Almost on their own, 
Yet his feet had already started slapping down the stairs once she finally got the jabbering girls moving, but now she stopped. Bella, she thought, my other friends, my sisters, my comrades, my union. What are you doing? Jacob screamed, already three steps down. Somebody has to tell the ninth floor, she screamed back. I have to. She turned around and began clattering up the stairs.